The reading this morning comes from John 16 and we're starting at verse 16, which can be found on page 1083 in the Bibles in front of you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy the child has come into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and I will take away and you will take and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not need to even ask to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Well, if you haven't met, my name is Ben. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Let me pray. Father, please would you give us eyes to see the heart to accept and the will to obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just fix this up real quick. Uh, imagine a lot of us have um, heard of this person, Marie Kondo. Has anyone heard of Marie Kondo? 
Yeah, she's a, a Japanese tidying up guru, and uh, she came fa- to fame in 2012 with the publication of a book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. And uh, I heard about her when her um, Netflix series was released earlier this year. Uh, it's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Now, um, if any of you have been to my office or been around to my house, you know that I am by no means uh, a subscriber to the Marie Kondo method of tidying up. I'd, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, tidy up challenged, uh, a bit of clutter around my space. Um, but actually, for a lot of people in the West, uh, she is a bit of a decluttering saviour. Uh, and a lot of people are finding uh, a lot of help from what she has to say. Um, but actually, uh, she's got some cool stuff about, you know, categories and all this sort of stuff on how to sort your things. But really, the heart of her method is something that's very simple. She really just gets you to look at all your stuff, uh, you know, maybe from the rusty old biker in the garage, uh, all the way through to, I don't know, a you know, beach mission t-shirt you've still got lying around from 1999. Look at all your stuff. And ask the question, does this thing spark joy, right? So uh, if something does spark joy, uh, you know, maybe it's, um, I don't know, your old teddy bear from when you were a kid, then that's great, you can keep that. Uh, But if the thing doesn't spark joy, maybe if it's a chipped casserole dish, uh, you you thank the casserole dish, maybe you give it a hug, and then you throw it out. All right, so that's uh, that's her method. Um, It's very simple, and, you know, to to a large extent, um, it's very appealing, and it got me thinking, I wonder if many of us actually live uh, this, this way, uh, this conmary method as they call it. I wonder if many of us actually live our lives at large according to the conmary method. Um, I wonder, that is, if many of us live for pleasure in the West, uh, we live for the things that spark joy. But if there are things that don't spark joy, uh, you know, we just are very inclined just to remove them. Uh, from our lives, you know, things like, uh, you know, the job with the difficult boss, um, or the friend who tells us hard truths, uh, you know, or the partner who no longer satisfies our needs. Many of us in the West, I think, are very inclined to pursue the joy and remove the grief uh, in our lives at all costs. And um, if that's true, I think that's why what Jesus says uh, in this passage is very arresting. Uh, In this passage, Jesus promises us joy. Um, But the joy he promises us is not actually devoid of grief. Um, In other words, it's a joy we receive in the midst of grief so often. Uh, It's a joy we receive through the grief. uh, As Emily so helpfully pointed out, that you can have both joy and grief. Uh, at the same time. As the Apostle Paul himself says, we are always sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So in that case, the question is, how do we find joy in the midst of grief? In other words, how do we find peace in a troubled world? Well, according to Jesus, uh, in this passage, there are three ways we can find joy and peace. Uh, First of all, we see the risen Christ Uh, Secondly, we ask the Father in prayer. And third, we stand firm in Christ's victory. Let's dive in. Uh, So first, we see the risen Christ. Uh, So our passage uh, today actually brings us to the end uh, of what's called the farewell discourse. 
Um, it's the farewell discourse. Jesus is going away. Um, and so from chapters 13 to 16, he repeatedly tells his disciples uh, that he's going to leave them. And we see this here again in verse 16. Jesus says, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. Uh, now, despite at great length Jesus has been speaking on this topic, the disciples are still confused. And we see that there in verses 17 to 18, a little bit comically. They sort of have no idea what's going on. They don't know what Jesus means. And to be fair to them, Jesus is speaking a little bit cryptically. It's not just me who thinks that. Jesus himself admits that in verse 25. He says he's been speaking figuratively. Well, with the benefit of hindsight, um, I think we can actually know what Jesus is talking about. I think Jesus is clearly talking here in this first part of the passage about his death and resurrection. Uh, That's why in verse 19 and elsewhere, he constantly emphasizes that they will see him no more, and then they will see him again. Uh, That's why in verse 20, Jesus says they will weep and mourn at his death, and then they will rejoice at his resurrection. Uh, And then there's another little clue that's a little bit more cryptic for those who like, you know, these sorts of things. Verse 21, uh, when Jesus compares the grief that they're about to go through uh, at his death, um, he compares it to a woman in anguish, uh, in pain, uh, giving birth. And uh, he says uh, she's in pain because her time has come. And literally the word he uses, he says her hour has come. And if you've been paying attention in John's gospel, you know that the word hour is a technical word that Jesus uses uh, to talk about his upcoming death, the hour of his death. And so sure enough, um, if you wanted to flick over to John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, when Jesus appears amongst his disciples, he says, peace, peace be with you. Uh, And then verse 20, John reports, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And so to sum up uh, what we're saying in verse 22, Jesus says, Now is the time of your grief. In other words, they're just about to grieve when Jesus dies the the very next day. Uh, But then he says, But I will see you again, Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So according to Jesus, what will give the disciples true and lasting joy is seeing Jesus risen from the dead. Now some of you might think, well Ben, that's just the disciples. They got to see Jesus risen with their physical eyes. That doesn't apply to us. How do we get joy from that? Well, remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Remember, Thomas got to see Jesus physically with his eyes, risen from the dead. Uh, He got to touch the nail prints in his hands and the hole in his side where the spear went through. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed or happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We'll have a listen to what the Apostle Peter says uh, to a bunch of Christians uh, in modern-day Turkey. And these guys didn't physically witness Jesus' resurrection, much like us. Uh, Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter goes on, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
Do you hear what Peter's saying? He's saying that even though we don't get to see the risen Jesus with our physical eyes, we see him, as it were, through the eyes of faith. Peter says we love him. In him we have a living hope and in him we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So what does this mean exactly? Um, One of my favorite expressions of this is actually uh, by this French dude, the French mathematician Blaise Pascal. Um, When he was 31, he experienced a kind of spiritual inferno uh, for about two hours at night from 10.30 to 12.30. Um, He writes, he had this experience that was so profound, he actually wrote it down on a piece of paper and he sewed it into his coat pocket, uh, so it was just kept there forever and he carried it around wherever he went. Uh, That's how important this experience was. And they found this paper when he died and here's what it said. Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars, Certainty, certainty, heartfelt, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ. Joy, 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 tears of joy. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Do you know what? I think this is exactly the kind of experience that Peter is talking about when he says, inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a little taste of heavenly joy that we get to experience on earth right now. Now, I hasten to say, of course, we're not all going to experience exactly this kind of joy to the same degree, but I dare say, to some extent, Joy in Jesus is the norm in the Christian life, right? And I say it's the norm because Paul himself says so. Uh, He says uh, in Galatians 5, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? All Christians have the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, And Paul says, uh, likewise in Romans 14, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, so friends, I want to ask you to ask yourselves really, do you experience this kind of joy? Uh, joy in the risen Lord Jesus. As I say, it won't always be constant and won't always be experienced uh, to the same degree. But if you've never experienced this kind of joy in the risen Lord Jesus, um, it may well be you know, you don't actually claim to follow Jesus. And in which case, I want to say, well, welcome. I'm so glad you've come here. I want to keep uh, encouraging you to keep exploring uh, Jesus, what he's done, and uh, especially, uh, you know, who he is, but especially the, re- the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, because that really is the, the linchpin um, of, you know, the kingpin of the whole Christian faith. It all hangs or rests on that. And uh, the resurrection really is the source of all joy in the Christian life. Um, come along to uh, winter, uh, like the time of having uh, CPX guys here for three weeks. And actually, two-thirds of the way through that, uh, we're going to be having Alpha Course starting on the 7th of August, for going for eight weeks. It's a wonderful thing to come along to uh, or maybe invite someone who you think might benefit from that. But if you do follow Jesus and you don't experience his joy, 
or the joy in him. It might be worth asking yourself, are there other joys uh, that you are pursuing in your life, perhaps joys that conflict with his will for your life and which are crowding him out? But otherwise, maybe uh, right now in your life, the clouds of grief are just too thick to let in the light of joy. Uh, And if that's you, come and let me know. Come and let one of the pastors know. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, I want to urge you, don't run from Jesus. Run to him. Uh, Keep meeting together with Christian brothers and sisters. We really are one of the key resources God gives you uh, for finding joy in the midst of grief. Uh, And also, if uh, you're finding that joylessness is just going on and on, it might be worth seeking professional help. Again, here the promise of the Lord Jesus in verse 22, a promise which I think applies to us. He says, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And that's a joy that we will have even at times in the midst of grief. So that's one way uh, to find joy. Uh, Point two, another way Christians find joy is that we ask the Father in prayer. Uh, My parents tell me that uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was very easy to raise. Uh, I know some of you might find that hard to believe, uh, but I was hardly ever in trouble. Um, But occasionally I would, uh, you know, do something very naughty and uh, and dad especially got angry at me and uh, he would give me what I considered to be a very severe sentence. It's one of the reasons why I went into law, you know, so I could appeal unjust sentences and so forth. And um, a few hours, you know, the punishment was a few hours confined in my room or maybe, you know, a week of being banned from um, my Commodore 64, which is an old school gaming thing. And uh, I was a little bit sneaky, I have to be honest. Uh, I was very sneaky. I uh, discovered one way to get my punishment reduced was I would go to mum, right? I would uh, put on my adorable cute face, which looked a little bit like this, I'm sure, and I'd talk to mum uh, in order that she might talk to dad, in order that dad, uh, through her um, interceding, might give me mercy. And you know, friends, I dare say that I think there are a lot of religions like that, um, religions where you have to uh, talk to a priest or the holy person who can then talk to the angry God on your behalf uh, and get mercy in that way. Uh, But one of the great joys of Christianity uh, is that we don't have to go through someone else. Rather, in Jesus, we have direct access to God the Father in prayer. It's a wonderful privilege and joy. And that's exactly what uh, Jesus says in verse 23. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I think the emphasis is on you will no longer ask me anything, says Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Um, so when Jesus walked on the earth, his disciples would come to him for stuff. Um, Jesus, that person needs to be healed. Jesus, we've run out of bread. You know, can you do something about this? Um, but Jesus is talking about a day when the disciples can go directly to the Father. And that would have been a big surprise for them. Remember at Mount Sinai, the people were so terrified of Yahweh. They pleaded with Moses, you speak to God on our behalf. And likewise, um, the disciples were well aware that in their own day, uh, if they wanted to offer a sacrifice to God on their behalf, they would have to go to the priests in the temple. But Jesus is saying that is not the case anymore, right? He says, 
in that day, um, Jesus is talking about a time that is now for us. Jesus is talking about the time that in, in the period in which now he has risen and ascended into heaven and he has poured out his Holy Spirit on all who believe uh, after and from Pentecost. Right, so verse 26, Jesus says, we don't need to ask um, him to ask the, you know, the Father on our behalf. Verse 27, why the Father himself loves us, right? You know, God is not a grumpy dad uh, that we need, um, you know, a gentle mum to go and placate. Um, we don't need Jesus to, you know, be like a great lawyer who figures out a loophole to get his mates into heaven against the better judgment of God the Father, right? John three sixteen says, it is because of the Father's great love for us, for the world, that he gave his one and only Son, All of salvation flows from the plan of the Father, right? And so, of course, yes, Jesus is our mediator between us and God. Jesus does always live to intercede for us. But Jesus' point here is that we have access, complete and direct to the Father, because we have access to the Son, right? We're united to the Father because we're united to the Son. God the Father loves us because in us he sees his most lovely, precious son. So the Apostle Paul puts it like this uh, in Ephesians 2. He says, For through Jesus we have access to the Father by one Spirit. So have a look with me, verse 24. Jesus encourages us, we can come to the Father directly. We can ask the Father for anything in his name. Ask, says Jesus, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, I do want to uh, clarify, I think this verse 24 needs a bit of clarification. Um, Jesus is not saying that God will give us everything we ask for, right? I'm sure you can relate to this, but in my life, there are so many things for which I'm super thankful God didn't give exactly uh, as I've asked. It would have turned out to be a complete disaster, if I'm honest, looking back with hindsight. Jesus is not saying we'll receive everything we ask for, um, But of course, it is good to pray for things we want. It's a good thing to pray for our daily provision. Um, It's a good thing to pray for healing uh, for ourselves uh, or for others we love. And God does love to give good gifts to his children. But actually, um, I think what Jesus really um, promises here in verse 24 um, is what he's already unpacked at great length uh, in John chapter 15 in the context of, you know, the passage about the true vine. So I just want to quickly revisit that. It's actually um, in your Bibles on page 182, just if you want to shift your eyes left. See if you can follow along with me. If not, just sit back and listen. I want to draw the connection that I think Jesus is making between asking the Father and us receiving joy as a result of what we ask for. John chapter 15, verse 16. I think Jesus connects asking the Father in Jesus' name so that we might bear fruit. Verse 8, Jesus links bearing fruit with showing ourselves to be his disciples, right? Verse 10, that means keeping Jesus' commands. And verse 12, the main command is that we love each other as that Jesus, just as Jesus has loved us, right? John 13, you know, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see all the connections. So it's with this in mind, Jesus says in verse 11, I have told you this so that, your, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
Right, so there's a lot to take in, so let me just um, sum up what we see here, I think we're seeing here in verse 24. Jesus promises that when we ask the Father to bear fruit, we will receive the will of God to obey Jesus' commands to love each other. And when we do, the joy of Jesus will be made complete in us. And I actually think this makes a lot of sense because when you're in love with someone, like really in love with someone, you delight to know what it is that pleases them. And if you go to them and say, honey, how can I help bring you delight? My gosh, they're going to be super pleased to help you do just that, right? How can I help you bring, to, you know, make you happy? Let me help you make me happy, right? So um, what makes Jesus supremely happy, actually, I think? His joy in us is when we love one another just as Christ has loved us. You know, that's what puts a smile on his face when we love each other, when we forgive each other from the heart, you know, when we show our acts of kindness and mercy to each other. And when we ask the Father to help us do that, gosh, he's pleased to do that. He loves to help us to live the life of Jesus in and through us, towards one another especially. So that's a second way that I think uh, we find joy as the joy of Jesus is at work in and through us. Ask the Father in Jesus' name. Okay, third, to find joy in the Christian life, we've got to stand firm in Christ's victory. One of my favorite scenes uh, from the whole Bible, uh, you probably guessed it already, is Exodus chapter 14. Uh, It's the scene um, just after God has sent 10 devastating plagues um, on Egypt and then God, through Moses, has led his people out of slavery. And uh, the people arrive at the Red Sea and all of a sudden, you know, the people look back and there they see Pharaoh and all his army bearing down upon them and the people are terrified and they cry out to God and they kind of turn upon Moses and they're like, why did you lead us out here in the desert to die? And uh, I just love Moses' reply. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And that very day, God did bring or win a great victory by swallowing up all of Pharaoh's army. And I just love that. You see, the people's faith was feeble, but God won the victory. He just says, just don't move, and I will do it all. I think that reminds us a lot of what Jesus um, exhorts his disciples uh, to do right here at the end of the passage, at the end of the upper room discourse. At the end, verse 30, um, the disciples claim uh, to have faith. Um, They say, this makes us believe that you came from God, right? But it's actually a super feeble faith. Verse 32, in fact, Jesus predicts their faith will shatter that very night. Uh, And that's exactly what happened um, a few hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers arrested Jesus. All the disciples fled and they abandoned Jesus, right? Fair weather friends. But just have a look at the mercy of Jesus towards them. Look at his love. He knows they're about to you know, abandon him. He knows he's about to die. This is his hour of greatest need, but he's only thinking of their needs. It's just beautiful. Forgiveness and grace. 
So it's with this in mind we, we come to probably my favorite passage in all, verse rather in all of John's gospel. Jesus says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now that word uh, trouble might sound a little bit weak in the English. Um, it doesn't mean, hey fellas, you're going to have some bad hair days and every second year you're going to get the man flu. Um, it's actually the same word um, that Jesus uses to describe the woman's pain in childbearing. It's translated anguish in verse 21. Um, the disciples, in other words, are going to experience incredible pain. As we saw, I think, two weeks ago in John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus says his disciples will be persecuted and, um, and almost all of them will be killed for their faith. That's the kind of trouble Jesus has in mind. And so the question we asked at the start is, how do we find peace in the midst of that kind of pain? How do we find joy despite or in or through the grief? Well, I think um, verse 33 is the qualifier where Jesus says, it's in me that you may have peace. It's in Jesus that we find our peace. That's why Jesus says, friends, take heart. The word means to stand firm in the face of danger. Have courage despite your fears. Be resolute in your trust in Jesus. It's the exact same idea in Exodus 14. Just as Moses told the people, don't be afraid, Jesus tells his disciples, stand firm. It's the exact same word. Jesus is saying, you will have peace. You need only to be still because the Lord will fight for you. And the very next day, that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, on the cross, Jesus went into battle for his people. But it wasn't Pharaoh and his armies that God destroyed on the cross. No, it was our true enemies. It was the only enemies that could really hurt us for eternity. On the cross, Jesus swallowed up our sin. On the cross, Jesus defeated the work of the devil. On the cross, Jesus put death to death. And it was in this way that Jesus overcame the world. Friends, you see, we don't need to worry anymore about whether our lives will turn out for our good. We know how our story ends and it is an ending where it will be happily ever after. You see, Jesus's resurrection is the guarantee that just as he was raised, we too will be raised. And so we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus is the Lord who fights for us. We need only to be still because if he is for us, then who could be against us? Not even our suffering, not even our pain can thwart God's good plan for our lives. As the Apostle Paul puts it like this, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he says, our light and momentary troubles, right? Some of you are like, are you kidding, Paul? Light and momentary troubles, persecution, suffering all the way to the point of death for the disciples and Paul, are light 
and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul is not just saying that our sufferings won't prevent us from getting into heaven and glory forever. He is saying that our sufferings will add to our glory in some mysterious way. They will enhance our experience of sufferings. There is nothing that you are going through right now that is wasted, friends. It will all turn out for your good. If you believe that, then that's what will give you peace and joy in Jesus. Though the world may be bearing down upon you, take heart, stand firm. The Lord has fought for you, so he will bring you safely home. You need only to be still. Keep trusting in Jesus, abide in him, love him, and prayerfully seek to obey his commands, for he has overcome the world, and in him you will too. I want to close uh, now with what I think is one of the most marvelous reflections on this whole passage, and in particular John 16, verse 33. Um, it's actually a quote uh, from one of my f- heroes of the faith, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, as, as many of you know, uh, when she was 18, uh, she dove into a lake. She didn't realize how shallow it was. Her head hit a rock. She broke her neck, uh, and then for the rest, now for the rest of her life, she's paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she's just a remarkable, beautiful woman of God. And she's just done really amazing things, showing God's love and raising funds, uh, for, especially for those uh, in need of wheelchairs around the world. And um, in this uh, essay I read this week, um, yeah, she just reflects on verse 33. I want to read it. It's quite, it's quite long, so just sit back and listen. And afterwards, I'm just going to end it there. I'm going to invite you to reflect and pray, and then the band's going to come up and lead us in song. So have a listen to what Johnny says. Romans 8.18 says that we can consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new perfect glorified body, standing on glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior holding his nail-pierced hands. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me in heaven because of the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings on earth. And I'll say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right. You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And at that point, Christ will open our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we ever experienced on earth. And when we're able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus really will wipe away our tears. I love this last line, she says, I find it so poignant that finally at the point 
when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. I'm going to give you a moment to reflect and pray and the band's going to lead us in song.